Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. If you would be opening your Bibles to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. In just a few minutes, we'll begin uh, studying that wonderful passage of 1 Peter 4. It is good to have Evan with us tonight and to know that he's going to be with us for the summer. Uh, what a blessing. Uh, no doubt that he will be. He's an impressive young man. I look forward to working with him this summer. Many of you have already passed through the fellowship area across the, from the foyer, across the foyer here, and you've seen the ministry fair. And for those that haven't had a chance, be sure and try to pass through there this evening or come early Wednesday evening or stay after Wednesday evening. And those uh, tables will still be on display and there will be deacons and elders there to visit with you and to answer any questions that you may have. And probably after you take this SOS and and you read through it, you will naturally have questions. And that's one of the purpose of the fair is so that you can go by and and ask questions. Of course, another purpose of the fair is obvious that as you go by those tables, you're going to learn quite a bit probably about things that are taking place that maybe you did not even know were taking place or maybe things taking place within a ministry that you did not know that that was being done in that ministry. And so that's our goal in uh, such an event as that is simply to let everybody know the opportunities to serve in the Lord's kingdom here in this place. And that's all we want to do is we want to serve God. This isn't about how slick we can make something look. This isn't about how we can try to twist someone's arm. Nothing of that sort. This is to simply say, children of God, serve. And here's a place that you can serve. So make sure that you find your place to be involved. Many of you will notice in the racks, in the pews where you're sitting, you will see a tan sheet that has numbers on the back and information that you could uh, fill out on the other side. Many of you received a white one earlier this morning if you were in Bible class or at the first service. Please throw away the white one. Uh, this is the one that we need completed. You will notice a ministry at the bottom of the first one that's marriage in the family that is not in the SOS book. And so obviously there may be some uh, opportunities there that you want to take advantage of, that you want to serve in those. And so be sure and read those at the bottom of that. And then there are additional numbers on this sheet that was not on the one this morning. And so for things to be as accurate uh, as they can, please be sure and use that tan sheet. Uh, many of you that were teaching uh, the children's classes this morning, obviously, uh, there was quite a bit said in the adult classes as the books were passed out and, and just uh, general information was given. And so if you have any questions, be sure and, and see uh, anyone in the ministry fair after services or if you, need to, if you want to sit down and visit about that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that for any of you teachers. And uh, if you need to pick up an SOS book or one of the TAN sheets, all of that is available over in uh, the fellowship area also. Let's be prayerful about this. Uh, when we talk about the Lord's work, that's the most serious, important work that we'll ever be a part of. And let's make sure there's a church family. We're praying that God's will will be done in all of this. And um, let's be praying for our own selves. All through the scriptures, we read many parables and many teachings about us being good stewards. This is an opportunity for us to think about over the next year. What is it that we want to do to be a good steward of the opportunities and the abilities that God gives us? Gives 
us. Gifts. An elderly lady had three sons and they loved their mama to death and all of them were wealthy. And so they each decided to give her a big gift. And so one gave her a mansion to live in. And another gave her a Mercedes, brand new, with a driver, knowing that his mother didn't like to drive. Then another, he sent her a little brown parrot. Now this parrot had the Bible memorized. He paid $250,000. He knew his mother loved to read the Bible, except she could no longer read because of her vision. And all she had to do was say to this parrot, book, chapter, and verse, and he'd quote that passage. Well, she wrote him a letter in return. She said, you give the perfect gift. She said, your older brother gave me this huge house and I only live in one room and have to keep the rest of it clean. It's really a pain. And then the second oldest brother that gave me the Mercedes, I don't go anywhere and the driver's bored stiff and gets on my nerves sitting around the house. She said, that brown chicken you gave me was delicious. Wouldn't it be a shame if that was really true? If, if a person took a gift that was worth $250,000 and could literally speak the word of God and someone ate it, you say, what a waste of a gift. Do you realize that everybody in this room has been given a gift from God? That God has designed that gift and you to further the kingdom of heaven. Everybody. There's not an exception. What if we just decided to eat it? What if we just decided to waste it? What if we decided to use it for our own glory and promote us? Or maybe we take that ability God's given us and we invest all of that energy in a civic group and we promote it, but we don't serve God with it. Or maybe we go to our workplaces and we use it there and we make a lot of money, but yet we won't turn around and use it in the kingdom. Friends, I believe that God gives us the gifts He gives us so that we can use them throughout our communities, our workplaces, our physical families. But we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that He gives them first and foremost to be used in His kingdom. And if I'm not using the gifts that he has given in the kingdom, I have wasted the gift that he's given. I don't know about you, but when when I got married, I learned that not every family gave the same kind of gifts. Did you ever experience that? I grew up in a family where gifts were usually pretty practical. It wasn't uncommon for a gift to have a cord on it, an off and on switch. That was pretty typical. I married into a family that I don't know exactly what you call the gifts, but they aren't practical. And if you give a practical gift, it's kind of like, if I wanted one of these, I could have just went out and bought it myself. They don't say that, but that's kind of the feeling you get. It's like, it's a whole different kind of giving. Now, when it comes to our families, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. If we want to give a gift that has no usefulness to it, more power to us. 
Or if we want to give a gift that has a cord on it, just don't do it on your anniversary of Valentine's Day, all right? <laughs> but notice this. Let this echo in our mind. When it comes to the gifts God gives us, as we are studying them tonight, they are always practical because they are meant to be used. So the question I have to ask myself, am I using the gift that God has given me to use in His kingdom for His glory? Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12. If you just glanced at them, you might say, Maybe they're kind of similar, I don't know. But if you stopped and read them carefully and reread them one more time, you would just start saying, wow. It's not the same words, pretty different words, but all three of those are teaching the same exact thing, just using a, a different angle and using different words. I wish we had time to, to just spend like an hour, an hour and a half, and I know we don't, but I just wish we had time to like fully develop Romans 12. And then say, now watch how this parallels as we fully develop 1 Corinthians 12. And then say, watch how this parallels as we look at 1 Peter 4. Because when, when we can see the different angles that God comes from, it's really to show us this. I want you to be righteous people. I want you to decide, are you going to turn away from the world or not? If you are going to turn away from the world, I want it to be legit. I want it to be total. I want it to be real. I want you to be wholly committed to me. Now that's going to change everything about you. And I'm going to give you gifts that if you'll take a heart of love, that always has to be the motive. It can't be about us. It has to be because we love God and we love others. And so if you're willing to live for me, I'm going to give you a gift that if you love me and you love other people, you can use that gift for my glory and great things can be done in the kingdom of heaven. That's where we're going tonight. Let's breeze through 1 Peter 4. Let's pick up some things and then let's close. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, we're going to go back to Romans 12 and look through it quick. And I beg you, do not see the close of this lesson as just an advertisement for a booklet. That would, that would break my heart if at the close of this lesson you thought that, all, that was all this was. We're talking about the opportunity to use our gifts the way God would want them to be used in an organized fashion. How else are we going to organize so many willing workers this is one method, and let's give our best shot to it. Let's think about this. Let's go to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, verse 1 and 2, we learn about a, a mind that we are going to have. Remember I mentioned this morning that we can have a mind of our own that is driven by the lust of the flesh, or we can take on the mind of Christ that lives the will of God. Here's how he says it in 1 and 2. Verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm, notice this, we're going to come back to this, Arm yourselves also with the same mind. Talking about the mind of Christ that was willing to suffer in the flesh. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time. 
What's life made up of? Time. He's no longer going to live his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. See, in verse 1, he says, I want you to have the mind of Christ. He closes verse 2 by saying, then you'll be living the will of God. What is the mind of Christ? Here he says, I want you to arm yourself. That literally means to take upon or to equip yourself with weapons. If you and I were soldiers out in a physical battlefield right now, and, and we were stopping for a break, maybe we were eating a snack, and, and someone come, come running up to us and said, the enemy's approaching, arm yourself. We know immediately what that meant. I need to take up my weapon. I need to be prepared to use it. Peter writes to a group of people that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed with great persecution and great violence very soon. He does not want them to lose their faith as they might be losing their possessions and their family or even their own life. Keep the faith no matter what kind of suffering may come forth in your life. And so he says the mind of Christ is willing to suffer. That's what Jesus did. He came to this earth and he was willing to suffer. Notice this. Now take on the mind of Christ and arm yourself. A mind that's willing to suffer. If you and I can honestly by conviction say, I'll suffer immensely for the cause of Christ. I am not backing down. I'm not turning away. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about a conviction within us. I'm not talking about something we brag to other people. But to yourself, you and your relationship with God, your heart, can you honestly say to God right now, God, I would give my all. I could be tortured. I could, I could suffer the loss of possessions. I could suffer the loss of my health. I could suffer the loss of my job. I could suffer the loss of my family. God, I will not leave you. Can we say that? If so, we have taken and we have armed ourselves with a mind that says, I'm willing to suffer. I'm wholly committed to God. Now, if we're willing to do that, that old life and that old spending time. Now, why, why is that important in this text? Because later on, he's going to talk about the gifts that we have. And to use gifts, what do we have to give? We have to give time to use gifts. And so the Lord wants to know, are we going to use our time the way we did back when we were heathens? Or are we going to use our time the way God wants us to use it? Because now we're ruled by the mind of Christ and the will of God and we're willing to give all, including our suffering and our time for the cause of Christ. He talks about what the heathens are going to say when we make this decision. Look at verse 3 and 4. And he talks about time as it relates to the heathens again. Verse 3, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked, and he gives this list here, lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they, talking about those that still do this, the heathens, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation, speaking evil of you. Isn't it interesting how Peter now, you remember for a few weeks we've been talking about we can live driven by the lust of the flesh and we can live this holy life, partakers of the divine nature of God. That's kind of what he's talking about here. And so he says, okay, here are individuals that they said, I'm going to live this holy life. I'm going to be willing to suffer all for the cause of Christ. And I tell you what, I've lived this life long enough. I've spent time 
in this life long enough. But when I leave, what are these people going to say? Oh, goody, goody, turning our back on us. Maybe a lot more severe than that. Maybe mocking us. Maybe lying about us. Maybe gossiping about us. Maybe stirring up things at work, trying to get us fired. They're going to do whatever they think they need to do because they hate the fact that we have left them in their life and no longer participate in their list of sin here. The general principle... Now, this isn't necessarily the detail, but the general principle is this. We spend our time doing one set of things when our lust rules our life. We spend our time doing something totally different when we have a mind of Christ. That's why if I have an ability... And I don't see the need to use that on a regular basis in God's kingdom. I've got to really stop and ask myself, which world am I living in? Because the people here use their time totally different than the people here. Where do I live? How do I use my time? Now, he convicts in the next following verses about judgment and things like that, which are important. But since we're talking about our time and our abilities, let's skip down to verse 8 as he continues here uh, this same line of thinking about how we use our life. And notice in verse 8, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Notice, God has no problem saying love is above all things. Remember the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 and 13? Remember when he says, now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. He has no problem hearing Peter saying, above all things. You want to talk about what has to be in the middle of, running all the way through, and surrounding everything we do has to be love. 1 Corinthians 13, if we were just going to bullet the first three verses, he would say we could have tremendous gifts like speaking in tongues of angels. And as far as we know, no man ever had that. It was almost like Paul was using an exaggeration to say if we had gifts beyond what we even have, but you had it without love, he says, it is worth nothing. He says you could have all faith and all knowledge in verse 2 without love. In other words, if you use that gift that God has given without love, it is worth nothing nothing. And then finally he says, we could give all of our possessions. How many of us would really be willing to do that? Or if we did do that, how many of us would say, whoa, I did something that God's going to think that this is tremendous. I mean, just imagine that. Just imagine in an hour, you and I are homeless. We have no clothes. We have nothing to drive. We have no portfolio. We have nothing because we gave it all away in the name of God, except we did it because we wanted people to notice. The motive was not love. There was some other motive. And God would look down upon us and he would say, it was worth nothing. Friends, as we think about the gifts that God has given us, whether they're abilities or possessions or opportunities, we must realize how important it is to take advantage of those, but always through the motive of this. I love mankind. I want mankind to love God.
And when that is our motive, we have a pure reason to do what we're doing. Now, notice as we go, at the end of that, he said that love would cover a multitude of sins. He's not saying love condones sin. He's saying that when we truly love someone, we'd help them turn away from sin, but we wouldn't turn around and gossip and slander them. It's a quote out of Proverbs. When we truly love someone, we don't look forward to slandering their name. We look forward to helping them pick their life back up and get back on their spiritual feet again. And, and so now we read, of course, verse 9 deals with hospitality, how wonderful it is to love others enough that you want to serve them and invite them into your life and into your home. But now notice all this as it ties to verse 10, as we think about we're a recipient of gifts. As each one, this is verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, who received gifts? Each one. There's not anybody here that hasn't received a gift from God. Each one has received an ability that they can carry out. Now, what are we supposed to do with it? Make us look good? Help us get wealthy? What are we supposed to do with that gift? Minister it to one another. The word minister means servant. We serve one another. Why would we do that? The previous two verses. Because we love one another. And so we have a gift. Everyone's received it. We love other people. How do we use the gifts that God gives us? Someone says, I want to serve God. All right, if we're going to serve God, we have to serve other people. That's how we serve God. In that sense, we become God's hands, God's feet, God's mouthpiece. In that way, we are constantly about God's business. Now, it's important for me to notice the last part of this verse. There's manifold grace. In other words, there's many, many gifts that God gives. But he doesn't give us all the same gift. But you know what? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 12, 18, where he's placed each one of us in the body just as it pleases him. He's given every one of us the gifts individually that he wants us to have. And he's brought all of us together because if each one does our part, we are set up for success in the kingdom because God never fails. Now, if we do not fulfill all that God has set us up to accomplish, it's because we've failed, not because God's failed. When we have one of the members of our body that doesn't function properly, we sometimes say uh, we're handicapped. When we have members of the Lord's body that's been given a gift, but they won't use it for the glory of God in the church, it creates a handicapped situation in the church. And so what we want is, is we want to glorify God. And notice, let's go ahead and read that. I've referred to it a few times. Notice how verse 11 reads. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. So if we're going to teach or preach, let's make sure we teach and preach God's word. Nothing more, nothing less. But notice the next one about our abilities and our, our, our ministries. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. See, it's a gift. It's God that gives us to us. None of us can boast of the fact to say, look at this, what I've done for myself. God's given it to us. That in all things, in all things, the way we use our gifts to serve others, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful thought. Uh, let's look at this next slide. Notice this. What, this just reviews what we have just studied here. God has given a gift to each one. So everyone receives at least one. Remember the parable of the talents? One received one, 
One received two, another uh, received five. Everybody gets at least one. Remember what the one did? He received it just like you and I receive it, but he didn't use it for the glory of his master. He took and buried it because he wanted to look good when the master came back to be able to say, oh, I still have it. And the master was like, no, I wanted you to use it so that it could increase the kingdom. That's why God gives us abilities so that we can go out and use them to increase the kingdom. So each one receives at least one and it's only to minister to others because we love others and that's only for the glory of God. Now, if you will, go to Romans, the 12th chapter. And the reason I want us to go there and spend just a little time is most of you probably noticed in the front of the, the booklet here that between the, the deacons and JP and the basses, they have just put together a tremendous, tremendous booklet here. And if you'll notice at the beginning of the booklet, I guess it would actually be on the second, uh, as you open the first page, there is a little test there of, of 30 questions that is simply designed to help you as you prayerfully discover or identify what ability or abilities God perhaps has given you. And, and this is based on, on Romans, the 12th chapter. In Romans, the 12th chapter, for time's sake, I'm going to go ahead, and, and I wish we had time to start at verse 1. Because again, it's, it starts out, hey, where are you going to live? Are you going to let your body be a living sacrifice? Our bodies need to actively be involved in the work of the, the kingdom. Number 2, verse 2, don't be conformed to the world. Renew your mind. See how it's so similar to First Peter? And then we come to verse 3. Don't be boastful about it. Humbly serve. Don't lift yourself up just because you've been given ability. Esteem others. Humbly serve. Then verse 4. There is one body, but there are many members, but we all don't have the same function. Another similar teaching. Verse 5. Again, there's one body, and we're all members of that Notice, not only one body, but here he uses the term one another. We are members of the body of Christ, but have you thought about it lately? We're also members of one another. What do I owe you? What do you owe me? We're part of the same body. We're members of one another. The better I serve God, the greater blessing I am in your life. The greater you serve God, the greater blessing you are in other brothers' and sisters' life. And so it's important to realize God did not design Christianity for us to be on an island out to ourselves, the way God designed the church is we truly do affect each other. And so then we come to verse six, as he does say, there are different gifts. And then he says, and I want to read this because I want you to see the word use them. He says, having them gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. God gives us different gifts, but Using the old expression here, these are gifts with a cord. These are gifts with an off and on switch. These are gifts that we are to get them out and we are to use them up to serve other people because we love them for the glory of God. How wonderful it is if we can do it and we don't even receive a thank you. I mean, that's really the way the Lord designed it. If we were truly to the spiritual mature level that God would want us to be, we would be glad to be used up to serve others, to further His cause, and not one person on earth even notice. 
Not many of us are that point. So that's why we do need encouragers. That's why sometimes we do need a brother or sister to give us a little hug and say, I appreciate so much what you do. But friends, that can't be our motive. Our motive cannot be, I want people to notice me. It's because we love God and we love others. And then he gives this list of gifts that he gives starting in verse, the middle of verse 6. If prophecy is prophesying in proportion to our faith, our ministry or service, let us use it in our ministering or serving. He who teaches and teaching, who exhorts, that would be encouraging, calling one to the side of Christ in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. As you complete this in the beginning of the book, it will help you And we can't promise any accuracy with this. We can promise accuracy with this. But this is just one method that hopefully this would help you in your prayer, in your search, as you truly try to identify where is it that I can serve God because He has given me this particular ability. Once that's identified and you work through that, there's a color code uh, on the next page. You can flip through all of these and look for opportunities that are matching whatever particular gift or gifts that God may have given. As you notice on the next page, it is titled the Table of Ministries and the next page. Those are divided into nine sections. And so you may have a certain area of the work of the church that you have a heart for, you have a passion. It may be missions or it might be the stewardship of possessions. Maybe you say... I just really love working with my hands. I love serving others in that way. Maybe it's education or compassion, or maybe you love working with youth, or maybe it's more of the technical standpoint or the evangelistic standpoint of seeking souls or Christian fellowship or work involvement. Those are the nine areas. And so maybe you'd rather look through the book in that particular fashion and find those areas and flip over and read those needs. As you consider that, Think about the fact that how just efficient, and I mean that for the good of the kingdom, how efficient it would be for one of our our deacons. As this is entered, they'll receive from the database a copy of everybody that has said in the Mount Juliet congregation, I want to be involved in this ministry this year. Now, the database is going to be wiped clean. So if you've involved in the past, if you don't sign up again, you're not communicating that you're willing to serve in that. So when this is all complete and this is entered, a deacon will receive a list, and that list will tell him, these are the people of your brothers and sisters in Christ that have said, I want to work in your ministry. He then can sit down and he can look at all of the objectives And he, along with those that are willing, can start to plan the good that can be done for God's kingdom because we love the people that we want to serve. We know God's model is for elders to oversee. We know God's model is for deacons to be servants. And we know God's model is for every member to use their gift to serve others for His glory. Will you be prayerful? Will you be a giver? 
of your life and your ability, your time, your energy, so that the greatest good can be done for the kingdom. Have you decided to be a servant? Really? I mean, like, have you said, I'm going to give one hour a week. I'm committed to it. Have you mapped out exactly what you'll do the first hour, first week of the month, the next hour, the next week of the month? Have you decided that you'll be a servant of Jesus? I want to urge you to make some kind of commitment to you and your God. Because usually we don't do a very good job of taking things seriously if we take a casual approach. So definitely between you and God, figure out what you'll commit to and then keep your oath that you make to God. If God is our Lord, we are His servants. The only way God can be our Lord is first for us to leave this life where we're ruled by our lust, our own desires, and our own mind. And we say, Lord, I want your mind to rule my life. I'll do it at any cost. I want to be yours. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to be a servant of yours. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins? Have you remained faithful in that relationship with Him? Tonight, if you need to be baptized into Christ or if you need to rededicate your life, the second service this morning, it'll be a long time before I forget that response. I don't know if I ever will. How humbling it is and how encouraging it is to see individuals I can simply and honestly say, I want my life right with God and I want to serve Him. Are you there? Does that describe you? If not, don't leave here until it does. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.